0: We're starting a brand new series this week. It's a six-week series leading up to Easter called The Trial, and we're going to be taking a real close look at Jesus before Pilate, uh, this kind of sham trial that ends up in his crucifixion at the end. Uh, What we're going to do to start the whole series and to start today is to create some quiet space, uh, so reflective time. We're going to have uh, some private reflection and prayer uh, between you and God. And the anchor point for all this will be Ephesians 1. I want to read a portion, uh, verse 18 through 23. This is a letter Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, wanting them to know who God is and his power. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Uh, long run-on sentence, uh, but I want us to sit, especially in uh, that verse uh, 19, uh, 20, 21, where it talks about God having power over everything. Um, It says, he placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Uh, We're going to fill in some of those, what are these powers, what are these authorities that God was placed over? in our life. So uh, we're going to take a few moments. Think of anything that has power in the world around you. So power is just the ability to get things done or influence people. It can be individuals, it can be institutions, ideas, anything you want. Declare it as power and then say to God, pray, this is under you, God. You know, so you say like religion is under you, God, or politics is under you, God and just go through every single thing that you can think of that has power and declare before God that it is indeed under him. So let's take a few minutes to do that. All right, we're going to do it again. Uh, Same thing, but now think of any power that you have. So power again, the ability to get things done or influence other people. This could be within your roles, your responsibilities. It could be skills you have, just opportunities you have, uh, whatever it is. Declare what you have, the power you have, is indeed under you, God. Let's take a few moments. Lord, all of our power is under you. All the powers we feel that pull us are indeed under you. You, Lord, are more powerful than anything. You are placed high above everything. All these things are are under your feet. We declare this before you. That's why we bow before you. That's why we sing worship songs, hailing you as our king. I ask that you would speak to us this morning and help us understand power more from your perspective. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so this first week, we're looking at all the power that kind of converges in Jesus's trial, you have the religious power of the religious leaders, the political power represented by Pilate, and you have the God power of Jesus, and they all kind of come together. Uh, so as we reflect, we're going to read through the passages. Just be listening to what God is telling you, how he's leading us. We, I, hope, I hope we come out of this uh, better, uh, more comfortable, more confident in being able to navigate a path, a world that has a lot of different powers pulling us, and we kind of find ourselves at the convergence of various powers as well. Uh, there's four different stories of the trial of Jesus. So in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are all uh, testaments about Jesus's life. Uh, They each emphasize a little different point during this scene. And so there's different details. Each one is slightly different than the other. Uh, So it's kind of fun. I'll try throughout the whole series to use pieces of each one so we can kind of get the full picture of what the Bible says. Uh, We're going to be reading the whole story of Matthew. And then we'll spend a little bit of time in John. Uh, But if you've got a Bible, uh, we'll have it on the back. If not, I want to go to Matthew uh, chapter 27. And uh, the story before Pilate is uh, verse 11. Then we're going to read all the way down to 26. And we'll just read it um, and be looking at it through the lens of the different powers that are conflicting. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked him. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. So there's the summary of what happened at this sham trial, you know, convicting Jesus. Well, actually, Pilate kind of finds him innocent, but still gives him a sentence of death by the by execution of crucifixion, right? Uh, what fun is that? We're going to look at the three different powers that are coming together here. First, we're looking at the religious leaders, they are the ones who bring Jesus before Pilate. What we, what we haven't read is before this, they had their own little kind of private trial where they found that Jesus did claim to be the son of God. And so they're, okay, well, that's, that's blasphemy, right? You know, the chief priests feel like uh, they have to maintain holiness in their religion, and Jesus is claiming to be the son of God. Clearly, that isn't possible. Ironically, it's exactly what he was, you know? And so then they already know he's guilty, but they don't have the power to execute. So they bring him before Pilate, who has the power to execute. And so now they've got to get Pilate to agree to kill Jesus, right? So that's what's happening here. I want to... Here, this is, this is what, it, what it says, right? When he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer, right? So, so it's like he has already been declared guilty. The chief priests are the ones bringing him before Pilate. Um, and then Jesus just refuses um, to participate even to the great amazement of Pilate, right? You know, because he sees that he's being uh, put on trial here. What power did the chief priests and elders have? Like, I, th- I mean, I think they kind of had two main Powers. One is they had the power of the people. People were watching the chief priests and the elders. So uh the people, the Jews living in Jerusalem at that time were a part of the Roman Empire, but they definitely didn't consider themselves Romans. They considered themselves Jewish, which is a, an ethnic identity and a religious identity. The chief priests and the elders, the leaders of the religion, were their leaders. They were the ones who were going to tell them how to live and how to operate as Jews. We could care less about Pilate. He wasn't going to tell us anything. He was just kind of there, and we tried to get along with him as best we could. Um, Or we tried to overthrow him so that we could live in the state that we want to live in. The chief priests had tremendous influence. On the people, and you see that where it says that they were the ones inciting the crowd. No, no, no! Have them release Barabbas! Have them release Barabbas! No, crucify Jesus! They were using their power of the people. Uh, the other big power that they had is that they spoke with the authority of God, right? The chief priests—they're um, named in, in different gospels is Caiaphas. Uh, He had a specific role that was ordained by God. This is all the way back to the times of Moses. You know, so thousands of years before, there's this office of priest where there are people that are set apart specifically to represent people to God and God to people. And so they would prophesy and they would speak on God's behalf. They would help the people know how they were supposed to live and be righteous so that they could be on God's good side so that he could continue to bless them. A tremendous amount of power because they spoke for God how did they use, uh, that power? Well, (laughs) kind of for their own means, right? I mean, it's under the guise of, well, we want, we've got this, this holiness code that we have to follow, and this man's a blasphemer, therefore we have to get him out. But Pilate sees right through it. It said, it said this, he said, for he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. Uh, We see in John's gospel, a little bit earlier, this is back when Jesus is teaching, right when the plan is hatched, like, we got to kill this guy. Uh, We see this, and the high priest is involved. This is John uh, chapter 11, 47 through 51. Uh, This is long before Jesus is arrested when he's out doing public ministry. It says, then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. Tremendous irony dripping with irony. Jesus did indeed die for the entire nation, for the entire world. Uh, but Caiaphas didn't. wasn't thinking about it like that, right? What he sees is here's this charismatic leader that is gaining a tremendous following. There's some power with him that I can't put my finger on. I can't control him, right? And, and, and he's threatening to disrupt everything, which Jesus is, <laughs> you know, but, but the, he could see that, well, that means that we won't be in our position anymore. That means we won't have our nation state anymore. The, the Rome might take, take us, uh, you know, and, and assimilate us, not allow us to have our own religion. And, and, and there's an undertone that maybe Jesus would even uh, reform the religion itself, and th- there's no need for priests, so there's no need for it, which is exactly what he did. Caiaphas saw it coming, but he's operating out of self-interest to protect what he has to keep the power, right? And, and so he chooses to operate. The chief priests and elders choose to operate out of their own self-interest, to keep, maintain their power, to do what they want to do. And it causes them to miss the fact that Jesus is the very one that they're supposed to be celebrating. They're supposed to be helping people welcome into the world that he has come. They're blind to the fact, the high priest himself, who's prophesying that Jesus will die for the nation, cannot see that Jesus is the Messiah, the actual son of God. Uh, what we see here is an absolute misuse of power right god has given the chief priest to lead the people and they they choose to use their power to do what they want to do selfish means if you are using your power for selfish means uh, that's a great opportunity to abuse power so careful right we can't just use power however we want but power can be used for harm or for good so when we look at the chief priests uh, I just want us to all realize power can be misused for harm. Meaning, even the people that God has ordained or said, Yes, I want you to have this power. Right? Like here, I will give you children and you will have the power of a parent. That doesn't mean that you just get to use your power however you want. Power can be either used for good or it can be misused for harm. It's like, um, I wonder who invented the first hammer right? Like, I don't know how you built homes without a hammer, but, you know, you can't, use, can't really connect pieces of wood with nails, right? Whoever, like, makes a hammer, someone's like, whoa, what an amazing tool, right? And so, like, we can, well, look, we can build stronger, sturdier shelters for us, right? You know, but then there's someone else who says, oh, I don't have to just hammer nails, you know? Like, I can hammer other people's foreheads, you know, if I don't like them. Or so, you know, like, like the hammer itself is a good tool, right? Tremendous potential, opportunities to use it for positive things. But, but it can be used for both good or for evil. Power's the same way. God gives us power. He allows us to have some of his power. It's within his will that we would actually hold power and get things done. Uh, but just because we have power doesn't mean that that's good we have to use it for good. What is good? God is good. Only God is good, right? We don't get to decide this is the appropriate use of power. This is how I should parent. This is how I should operate in my job. This is how I should do all those things that we thought of about the various powers that we declared were under God. We have to know, is this from God? Is this in accordance with his character? That's the judge of whether or not we're using our power correctly, So a warning, when we look at the religious power in just this story, just a warning, don't chase power. Don't, don't try to gain power for power's sake. Uh, Don't simply follow power. So uh, you probably declared various powers that perhaps you agree with um, or or people that are influential that, yeah, actually I, I do follow them. Well, don't just blindly follow them. Evaluate. Are they using this power for good? Meaning in accordance with God's character. Even if you agree with them one time, might mean you don't agree with them another time. Uh, We're about to jump into an election season where there's quite a bit of influence, power, tugging of war. Don't just blindly accept, evaluate. Evaluate. Power can be used for both good and for harm. So how is it going? Is it matching with God's character? Is it aligning with God's character? That is a standard for us. All right, second type of power that we see is this political power. That's represented by Pilate. So in the, in the story, he's the one uh, who they have to convince to execute Jesus. Um, I want to read uh, part of John's narrative because it adds a little bit more detail on this exchange between Jesus uh, and Pilate. Uh, in John, it's both in chapter 18 and 19. I'm just going to read the part in 19. We're going to go uh, 19 verse 1 all the way down to verse 16. We'll have it up on the screen. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him." When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here's the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Actually, I'll I'll just stop there. Uh, The rest takes it down the road where Pilate ends up allowing him to be crucified. Pilate has a different sort of power, right? Where's his power? Uh, He has power from the emperor right? From, from above. You know, it's, it's interesting that Jesus says you would not have that power unless you had it from above. Here, I got that verse prepped for you. It says, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. If I'm Pilate, I'm like, yeah, I understand the hierarchy of power. There's some, I don't know, regional governor or, you know, emperor's assistance o- over me. And then ultimately it comes from Caesar. You know, it's like, yeah, Caesar, because Jesus isn't talking about a worldly structure, a pyramid of power and delegation. He's saying, no, 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 like, God is the one who has power. And, and I think it's fascinating here, because what the implications are is that Jesus is saying, even though you received your power from a human, from a conqueror, from a secular king that doesn't want to follow me, you are still under God's power. Like, like, it's not just the chief priests and the elders who have a very specific role, and, and they're speaking for God that they have to be held accountable for how they use their power. It's you too, Pilate. <laughs> you might not even know it, right? Because what does the emperor care about? What does he want done? What Pilate to do? It's keep the peace, you know, keep the people from rebelling, keep the people paying taxes, you know, you just kind of manage, right? Like, hey, make sure there's no problems over here, Right? God, on the other hand, wants Pilate to operate and use his power in very different ways. And so Pilate actually has a little bit of a dilemma, right? Who do I follow? Do I follow the emperor? Do I follow the Caesar? You know, the the person, my boss, who's telling me you've got to do this, or do I follow God? Jesus is implying you have an obligation to follow God even in your secular powers, right? So here's the challenge to us. All those powers that we said, you know, we declared we're under God, you have an obligation to use that power for good. What's good, God is good, right? In accordance with his character. How does Pilate use his power? It's kind of funny. He um, kind of doesn't, you know? Like, he, he kind of decides to sidestep the whole thing. From the, from the very beginning, you can tell he's completely uninterested. He's like, oh, what is going on here, right? These people really angry about something. Let me try to figure it out. And then he, he has a sense for justice, Right, he questions Jesus. I don't know. You can read more from the other Gospels. He questions Jesus, and he comes to the conclusion this man is innocent. So he tells the this man is innocent. They say, "Ah, we don't care. Kill him." <laughs> you know. And he says, "No, I don't know." And so now he's got a dilemma. Right? Do I do the right thing, or do I keep the people happy? Right? Do I do the right thing before God, or do I do the right thing before Caesar? Uh, we'll we'll go <laughs> we'll do the right thing before Caesar. Right? He uses his power for worldly means, for worldly gain, for worldly good, which is not good according to God. And I think he takes the easy way out, right? He looks at the crowd. He has an opportunity. He's the one sitting in the judgment seat. It's ironic the whole time, right? Sits in the judgment seat, pronounces Jesus innocent, therefore sentences him to death. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) whoops. He takes the easy way out to do what the crowd wanted him to do, right? He, he, he essentially said, I have this power. Yeah, we'll set it aside and whatever you want, right? Some of us have power, actual power in this world. And we say, I'm not touching that. I don't trust myself with it. You know, it's better if I just, I'll set it aside. Let someone else make the decisions around here, right? I'll just do what everyone else wants. What do you need? Okay, I'll fit in over here. God says, no, 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 no. I gave you power to use it for good. You can't simply sidestep. We can't take the easy way out there's an obligation that we will use what God has given us according to his purposes. Now, that's the reminder. That's the lesson we see when we look at this political power. Now, there's a third power that's involved. That's this God power represented by Jesus. And in my mind, if I'm thinking there's going to be this clash of religious power and political power and then God power, it's like, I'd want God power just to be like, ah, I'm stronger than you. Get back in your place. You know, like I want to see the showdown where God can show that I am the most powerful one. You guys have nothing on me, right? You know, like, um, like a street fight style. And so then I read this and here's Jesus with all of his God power, not saying a thing, you know, and you're like, come on, Jesus tell them what, tell them what it really is, you know, like, give them the truth, you know, let them know, you know, I know you got that little one-liner in there about Pilate not having power except from above, you know, but, but then he's just sitting there, right, they're slapping him, threatening him, Pilate's like, don't you understand that you're about to die, and Jesus doesn't respond, and it, 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 to me, okay, a lot of questions, a lot of, like, what is going on here, how is Jesus that calm, that collected, that cool, that confident, right, that he knows he doesn't even have to fight this, you know, and, and here's, here's the thing, I don't, I don't want us to see, I think sometimes Christians are guilty of this, you know, well, we get, we're, we're tossed around, right? So we're getting pulled every which way by various powers. And, you know, it's like we're water rafting and, oh, we're out of the boat. And we're like, oh, well, you know, like, let go and let God, right? You know, and it's kind of like this, uh, I'm giving up. And so we have maybe, maybe more of a naive faith that just kind of says, well, God can take care of me. I know he will eventually. That's not what Jesus is doing here, right? Like he's not just kind of like, oh, well, you know, now it's in your hands, God. He actually has confidence that, that he's, walking in God's power, right? Like that confidence doesn't come from just knowing that Pilate doesn't have power or knowing that the chief priests are misusing their power. It, it doesn't even come from knowing God, his father, who has power over them. He knows that God's power is at work within him. He has confidence, right? Because if, if you don't have confidence, right? If you don't have certainty, you don't have confidence, right? Like if you're, you know, jumping down, down the river, you know, getting tossed and turned by all the waves, uh, you don't have certainty that everything's going to be okay, right? So you can have confidence. You can have faith. And I suppose there's uh, maybe something commendable about that faith, but that's not the kind of faith that Jesus is modeling. Jesus is modeling a faith that says, well, I know I'm actually in God's boat right now, right? And I'm confident that I am going forward, even if I'm out of the boat that I have here. How do I know that he has that confidence, that he knows that God is at work, that he has this God power inside of him, that he's filled with God's power? Well, because we're giving an insight to the night before the trial. See, this trial happened very early in the morning. They say even before, you know, the rooster crowed, right? That's that's when Peter is having the denials. Uh, All that night before, this is Jesus. I'm going to read another long passage. It's uh, Matthew 26, verse 36 through 46. When Jesus knew he was going to be facing a tug of war with all these worldly powers, what does he do to prepare? Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing then he returned to the disciples and said to him, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And then right after that, he gets arrested. He's taken to the sham trial before the chief priests. Uh, They find out they want to kill him. They bring him to Pilate and that's where we are in our story. But what Jesus does when he knows he's going to be facing worldly power, religious power that's going to be misused, political power uh, that's going to be set aside and not used according to God's purpose. He says, well, first I need to get full on God's power. (laughs) You know, if if I'm going to make it through what I see coming before me, let me sit before God and make sure I know that God is operating within this, right? Because he's not simply saying like, oh Lord, fill me up. He's saying, God, do I have to do this? Right? Is this your will? I will do your will. I will be obedient to your will. But is this your will? Right? One time he probably heard, "Yeah, it's your will." So he comes back, and you know, we don't we don't hear what God says back to him. Right? God the Father. Let me be precise. What the Father says back to Jesus, but he goes back a second time, and says, "Okay, well, if it's impossible, right? Then I, then I'll take then I'll take this cup. May your will be done." He's wrestling with God, wanting to make sure that he is living within God's will, knowing that God is the one who's steering. God is the one who's moving all of the earth toward an end. Okay, well, I need to make sure that I'm operating within his power. After that, after he's full, then events unfold. And so now when he's being pulled and pushed and prodded and literally slapped around by different powers, threatening him and, and posturing, he doesn't need them. He doesn't have to move them doesn't need to get political power on his side, doesn't need religious power to follow him or even to understand, because he knows this is God's power that's moving the entire thing. When, when Pilate says, don't you know I have power you know, of, your, of your life and your death? He can be like, nah, I don't think you do. Or, or you do, but that's because God gave it to you and I'm riding with God, you know? So it's like, okay, you know? That's the kind of confidence that's available to us if we want it, if we fill ourselves with God's power. We can look around, and we did this morning, and say this power, this power, this power, this power, this power. We can declare that they are all under God, and we can still feel like we're pushed and pulled by them, or we can have confidence because we are certain that we are operating how God would want us to live within all those powers. So when we look at Jesus, our takeaway is be filled with God's power. Choose. And it's not... It's not a passive feeling either. Right? So I kind of, I kind of started making the point, but I didn't say it outright. Jesus didn't just say, Jesus, take the wheel. Like God, the father, take the wheel. <laughs> you know, like it's not, things are getting so out of control that he's just kind of like, all right, God, you go from here. No, it's an active participation in God's power where he set aside an entire night to say, Lord, what is your will? Is this your will for me? your will be done. I will follow even if it's tough, right? Do you have things coming up in your life this year? Do you have big things where you know that there's going to be pulls on you one way or the other way? Well, I recommend you be filled with God's power, right? Just like your car, you have a road trip coming up, we'll fill the tank, <laughs> you know? Like if you know that you're going to be challenged, there's something coming up, I don't know, an election, right? Like don't just jump in and say like, "Oh, Lord, you are in control." Yeah, absolutely he is. Sit with him, be filled with him so that you can have confidence and the certainty that you are operating within God's will. How do we do that? We take time, we pray, we wrestle. Our our prayers can sound like this, not simply, you know, oh Lord, you know, I'm struggling with this. He can be overwhelmed to the point of death and sorrow. May this cup be taken from me, right? We're allowed to say, God, can can I not do this, please? You know, but not my will, your your will be done, right? And then he says, yeah, okay. And then come back to him and say, okay, well, if that's the case, I'll be obedient. And I know that you're going to be going. We have to calibrate ourselves. If we truly understand that God is the only one with power above all things, right? Just like we sang in all those songs. If we truly understand that, maybe we'll spend more time at God's feet being filled up with his power, right? And less time in front of the TV and the political pundits or the radio and what they have to say and the, the media and the news articles and the TV commercials and the national campaigns. Maybe we'll stop listening to our favorite authors, our favorite Christian authors, even our favorite pastors, and instead we will get full on God because it's his power. There's only one power that all other powers are under his feet. We have access to that power through Jesus. So let us be filled with his power. So we might be confident and we might be able to use his power for his good. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we hold power and we use it like it's our own. Uh, May you teach us not to. (laughs) May you break us of this habit. May we be willing to see the roles that you have given us from your perspective. May we not shy away from power, but may we use it for good. May you show us how we're supposed to use it. May you help us discern the powers that are around us, tugging and pulling. And Lord, come meet us when we give you space. Call us so that we might wrestle with you to understand what is our role? What is your plan? What is your will for this particular event or circumstances that we're going forward? We trust and have faith that you, Lord, do have power over all things. And so we know that if we are full of your power, we can have confidence over all these other things. Those things can't push us, and we won't be tempted to try to gain them to use them for our advantage. Lord, may we be content in you. May we be full of you knowing who you are and what you're doing in the world. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. And now we get to respond uh, to God's word, and the way uh, that we're doing it now is through communion. Uh, where communion, Uh, we get to take part of Jesus' broken body and Jesus' shed blood, Uh, it's not just a reminder. Um, And I don't want us ever to think this is just every week we do this because we want to remember this is really important to us. Uh, This is our participation in Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. All those powers that are in our lives, in our hearts that are tugging and pulling us this way and that way, those are all things that we need to die to, right? The powers that we're holding on to because we want to use them our own way. We need to die to those things in order that we might live only in God's power, His resurrection power. When we take communion this, this morning, think back to all the powers that are tugging you in this world. Think of all the powers that you're holding on to and say, Lord, these are under you. And when I take this communion, I am willing, choosing to die with you, with them, in order that I might live only in you, completely free from all these other powers. Let this be a physical practice as a response, saying, yes, I agree with your word, and I want what you've given us. Uh, We'll come down. uh, There's kind of an aisle over here, so maybe we'll make a line on this side, uh, and then we'll kind of come back out on the other sides. Uh, Once everyone has it, go back to your seat, and then we'll all take it together when I come up. we take communion we're rehashing events that happened even earlier that night right before the garden of gethsemane when jesus prayed Uh, and on uh, that night he was hanging out with his disciples and he took the bread after he'd given thanks he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way after dinner he took the cup and he said this cup is the new covenant which is in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you bow your hearts with me? Lord, in taking your communion, we declare we only want your power. We don't need any other power. We don't want any other power. Keep us free from all the powers that might tug us and try to use us for other gains and means that are not your will. Lord, we want to be obedient only to you. We want to be filled only with you. Teach us, show us how we can navigate the powers around us, how we can use the power that you've given us to accomplish your will, Lord, and not ours. Your will, Lord, and not ours. We love you. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your example. We thank you for your teaching. We thank you for your life. We thank you for... Your death on the cross, allowing us to be clean, to have a relationship with you, and the offer that you give us the same power that rose you from the grave, raised you from the grave, Lord, that could be known by us. We want that today, Lord. We thank you, we love you. Amen. All right, we've got some discussion questions uh, to further apply uh, what we're talking about. Uh, One, what power do you have Uh, Two, how does God want you to use it for good? And three, how do you discern where God is using his power in the world? Uh, The last one is trying to say, uh, when have you done it? Share spiritual practices. How do you have that confidence that you are walking in God's power versus being uncertain? Um, Go ahead and discuss in groups. This is our opportunity to love each other by asking questions and learning. Uh, hearing, listening to each other actively well, Uh, just make sure you're talking with someone you didn't come here with. I'll come back up and dismiss you guys in about seven minutes.